As we get ready to start this week's episode, I was reminded of one of my favorite moments in the Lord of the Rings trilogy, where Bilbo Baggins is celebrating his 111th birthday and looks out over all of the gathered guests and says, Alas, 111 years is far too short a time to live amongst such excellent and admirable hobbits. I don't know half of you half as well as I should like, and I like less than half of you half as well as you deserve. I always have to wonder, who is he thinking of at that moment? Who is that guy that drives him that crazy? Let's get started. Welcome back to the Seeking Proof Finding Grace podcast. I'm your host, Ron Campbell, and this week, as with every week, I want to challenge you with the most important fact in the entire universe. God loves you. Now, in this week's episode, some introductions are in order, and thank goodness it's not with that last guy that we just saw. Nobody wants to be introduced to him. This week's introduction is, well, to the person that we need to be introduced to the most. Our introduction this week is to God. I want to introduce everybody to who God really is, because I think before we take this journey, if you want to place this journey in context, we have to, number one, understand who is God, and number two, we have to understand God's purpose. So we're going to start by introducing everybody to who God really is. And the difficulty in that is going to become apparent very quickly here when I read two different descriptions of who God is. The first of them is from Richard Dawkins, from The God Delusion. And I want to read God's description, Dawkins' description of who God is, just to give you a feel for what we're, what we're struggling with here. The God of the Old Testament is arguably the most unpleasant character in all fiction. Jealous and proud of it, a petty, unjust, unforgiving control freak. A vindictive, bloodthirsty ethnic cleanser, a misogynistic, homophobic, racist, infanticidal, genocidal, filicidal, pestilential, megalomaniacal, sadomasochistic, capriciously malevolent bully. That is a mouthful. (laughs) I had to go in and look up one of those terms that Dawkins throws on the table there just to make sure I understood the complete and total description that he was going for and all of that. that. That's a lot. Now, let me give you the opposite side of this question, of this equation, you might say. This is God's description of himself from the Bible. The book of John, chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, one of the most famous verses in the entire Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Now, those are two of possibly the most diametrically opposite descriptions of someone that you could possibly ever have. And I think it's important to recognize that both of those descriptions cannot be true. So what do we do with these two different descriptions? Obviously, both of them can't be true. You know, we could spend time picking them both apart. Dawkins' description is interesting. He very carefully develops it around the God of the Old Testament. And part of the reason I think he has to do that here is the Old Testament description of God that he's given, in his opinion, certainly isn't reconcilable with Jesus going to the cross. 
His description doesn't work if you look at the entire Bible. It, it contradicts itself based on the entirety of the work. And I think one of the things that we struggle with when looking at the Bible is a lot of people tend to begin analyzing the Bible by throwing out everything the Bible says. And that's terribly counterproductive. If you want to understand something, you really need to roll up your sleeves and analyze that thing that you're trying to understand. And the best way to do that is to actually look at what the Bible says and to go through that description and look at it from there. So rather than going through blow by blow Dawkins' description, and we will at some point, I think it might be more beneficial to us to jump in and actually look at how God describes himself in the Bible and then try to analyze that around the other events that, we, that we'll see as we look at this to see what, if that helps us in our journey. Don't get me wrong, we're, we're going to look at this and we're going to analyze both sides of this question down the road. But I think we can all agree that if we're going to do this properly, the first thing we should do is at least understand what the Bible says about who God is. And then we can decide, is that true down the road? But to put all of this journey in context, let's start by understanding what God says about himself. And if we understand who God is and what God's purpose is, then I think we'll be able to understand the journey much better. What we're going to look at today is the book of Luke, chapter 15. This is the story of the prodigal son. Now, to set the stage here for what we're, what we're looking at, Jesus is talking to the religious leaders of the day, and they don't like the fact that he has been spending too much time with sinners and tax collectors. They, they don't like this at all. And they really think that Jesus needs to put these people in their place and to walk away from them. He's an important rabbi. He's somebody who has a high, who should have a very high stature. And they don't understand why he's going to these people who are just a lost cause and why he's trying to bring them into the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus tells two stories to them. They're what they, the Bible calls them parables. And they're basically stories that are meant to teach a lesson. So he tells two stories talking about the links that God will go to to bring a lost sheep home, to bring somebody home who's been lost from the Father. And we see this throughout the Bible. Jesus spends so much of his time talking to the religious leaders of the day and talking to the people of the day, trying to correct them with all the things that they've gotten wrong about God, all of these things that they just have missed from the Old Testament and gotten it incorrect. That sounds a little bit like this, what we're trying to do is to understand who God is. And so to drive home the point, because they're still not getting it, Jesus tells this story. And where he goes, he's going to go real quickly to a place where, he, where they want him to go, but then he's going to turn the tables on them in a direction that they never saw coming. So the book of Luke chapter 15. Then he said, and this is Jesus talking, a certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, father, Give me the portion of goods that falls to me. Now, let's pause for a second here. In, in our day and age, we really don't understand what's occurring here. But the younger son has basically gone to his dad and said, Listen up, Dad. You're taking too long to die. And I would like my, my inheritance now. So if you wouldn't mind just selling the farm and giving up everything so that I can have my money and get out of here, that's what I would like. Wow. I, it, it's hard to imagine anybody saying anything more terrible to their father. That is a relationship that is now horribly, horribly broken. And on the surface, it looks like it's broken beyond all repair. And so the religious leaders have got to love this because Jesus has just painted a picture 
that there's no way out, it looks like, for this younger son. And they've got to be going, yeah, okay, I can't wait to see where this goes. But wait as Jesus sets this up and watch where this goes. So he, this is the father, divided to them his livelihood. That's important. He just divided to both of his sons their, his inheritance. So the older son got his portion and the younger son got his portion. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and journeyed into a far country. I, I think we can all understand why. I'm imagining it was pretty difficult around the dinner table after the younger son did what he did. And there, the younger son wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there rose a severe famine in the land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent, to him, and he sent him into the fields to feed swine. And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. Just pause again here for a minute. For the Jewish audience that Jesus is speaking to, this is about as bad as it could possibly get. Remember, pigs are unclean animals. Nobody wants to be in this position. The younger son has taken all. He's lost everything. He squandered all the money that he got from his father. And he has fallen to the bottom of the bottom. He's at, at the, at just at the lowest rung of society possible. He has no food, no money, no shelter. And he's basically envious of eating the pig slop that the pigs are eating. It's as bad as it could possibly get. And you have to know that the religious leaders are going, that is awesome, because that's what that rotten kid deserved. And I think we all probably feel a little bit that way, knowing how bad the younger son has treated his father. But now the story starts to take a curve, and it starts to take a turn. And this is going to be important for us as we start to understand our relationship with God and who God is. But when he came to himself, this is the younger son, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to and to spare? And I perish with hunger. I will rise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. All of that is true. And the younger son is basically recognizing that his dad was a really okay guy. And his dad is so merciful and forgiving. The younger son thinks, even with what I did, with what I know of my father, my father, I mean, he'll never accept me back as a son. Nobody would do that. But maybe, just maybe, my father might take me back into the house and have pity on me. And maybe he'll make me like one of his employees. I might be a ranch hand on his farm. And so he's going to go back and play on his father's mercies to see what his father will do for him. That's a remarkable statement about who the father is. The younger son recognizes the father's a good guy. And you have to wonder, why did the younger son want to leave so desperately bad? But anyway, we'll save that for down the road. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, and his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. The father was watching for the younger son. And this is, in this culture, undignified and something that would not be done. The father would have never run to his younger son 
and forgiven him this way and forgiven him unconditionally. The younger son, you notice, hasn't he hadn't given his speech yet. He hasn't done anything. And the father runs to the younger son and jumps on him and loves on him. It's, it's remarkable what's happening. And the audience has got to be gasping in shock as the father is starting to, to lay the, set the stage to forgive the younger son. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight and am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry for my son that was dead for my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. This is a remarkable turn of events. And before we go any further into the story, I, I want to walk through a couple of things here. We could spend a lot of time on this and we just don't have time today. But the robe that the father puts on him, the best robe that the father puts on him, the sandals that he puts on him and the ring that he puts on his finger completely restore the son back to being a full-fledged member of the family. The father hasn't allowed the son to become a ranch hand and to go work for him out in the field. The father has completely forgiven the son and restored him. The father didn't even let the son finish his great speech that he had prepared. The father has been sitting on the front porch watching and waiting for the son to come back. He has a sandal. He has sandals, he has a ring, and he has a robe ready to go for the younger son knowing that the younger son is going to come back, hoping that the younger son is going to come to his senses and return. The father has been making preparations, and the father has forgiven the younger son. The father has done everything that he needs to do. And this is the hard part for the audience. The audience is now in shock that's hearing this. The father is the one who was wrong. I think we all recognize that. The younger son treated his father terribly badly. The father has the absolute right to forgive the younger son, but nobody thinks the father's going to do it. Nobody sees this turn of events coming. So the father's forgiveness of the younger son is not something that anybody can stand up and say, how dare the father do that? Why would the father do that? Because the father has the right to do it. And Jesus is trying to get across to this audience, this is who your heavenly father is. If you think your father's angry with you, you're wrong. If you think your father won't forgive you, you're wrong. The younger son has no idea whatsoever. He, is, he thinks there's no possibility that his father could ever forgive him. He's hoping for restoration into the area of the father. He's hoping for some sort of restoration where he can get food in his belly and a roof over his head. But he thinks the hope and promise of family is gone. And that's not who the father is. The father is going to heal him completely and bring him back in. He's going to throw a barbecue. He's having a party. He is going to have a feast because his son has returned. The religious leaders have got to just be falling over in shock. But Jesus isn't done. And now he turns to address the religious leaders because he's trying to get them to understand not only this is the part you don't understand about God, and now he's going to turn to them and help them to understand this is the part you don't understand about you. So now he's going to turn to the older son, the older brother. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. 
So he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry, and he would not go in. Therefore his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, I love this because you can hear this in any relationship between two siblings. Lo, these many years I have been serving you, I never transgressed your commandment at any time. Okay, whether or not that's true, that's questionable. That's probably a huge exaggeration. I never once transgressed your commandment. That, that's probably not true, but let's go on. And yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours came, it's not my brother, it's this son of yours. But as soon as this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. I, I love the way he pins the blame on his brother and on his dad. And you could tell the older brother has disowned his younger brother. He has disowned him completely. Now, there's a lot that the older brother says in there that is absolutely correct when he's pointing the finger at his younger brother. His younger brother's guilty of all of those things. The interesting thing is his perspective of himself is completely out of whack. The older brother claims that the father's never even given him a goat so that he could go celebrate and have a party with his friends. Do you remember when we started the story? The father separated all of his goods to both of his sons. The older brother could easily have taken a goat anytime he wanted to. It was his to begin with. So if he wanted to have a barbecue, he could have done it at any time. The older brother is caught up in legalism. And this is what Jesus was fighting against this whole time. He kept looking at them, trying to get them to understand, you don't have to earn a relationship with God. God has a relationship with you because he loves you, because he's made the decision to love you, not because you've earned anything, but because that's who he is. This is this amazing example of grace. Grace is being shown to the younger son, forgiving him. God not only shows mercy. Remember, there's, there's three components that we would think about in this story. Justice, mercy, and grace. Justice would be that the younger son gets thrown out on his ear and reminded of all the horrible things he's done, which is what everybody wants to happen, and that the father throws the younger son out and says, see ya, you're out of here. Mercy would be that the father takes the younger son back in and lets him be a worker on the farm, but never really forgives him. He doesn't punish him, but he doesn't really forgive him either. He shows him mercy. This is grace. Grace heals the younger son. Grace puts the younger son back into the family. Grace recognizes the journey. Grace recognizes this journey that the younger son has taken, has done nothing more than bring the younger son back to the father. The father does everything else. The father forgives the son. The father restores the son. The father has redeemed the son back into the family. The father has done everything. That's grace. And now the father is turning his attention to his older son. And he looks at him and he's trying to get the older son to understand, you're just as separated from me as your brother was. The only difference here is geography. Your younger brother left and now you're still here with me, but you don't understand. I don't want a hired servant. I want a son. And I love you 
because I love you. Not because you've been working hard in the field, not because you run the ranch really well. I love you because that's who I am. I'm your father. That's what God is trying to get across to these two sons. And the amazing thing is, the father turns around and he answers the son, the older brother, and listen to this response. And he said to him, son, you are always with me and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad for your brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. The really sad part is the story ends right there. And we're left never knowing whether the older brother ever comes back into the family and ever accepts his younger brother back in. You remember where all of this started? This started with the, with the religious leaders coming to Jesus and complaining about how he's treating these sinners, how he's treating these people who the religious leaders don't like. And Jesus is trying to bring them back into the family. He's looking at the religious leaders saying, this is who the Father is. They never lost his love. And you can't earn his love. Jesus is looking at these religious leaders and he's trying to help them desperately to understand who their heavenly Father is. It's so critically important that we understand this. God loves you. That's the important part of this story. That's who God is. As we look at this question and as we walk through this process, it's so important that we understand the one thing that God gets out of all of this is a relationship with us. God created everything that we see around us, the entire universe, this planet, the solar system, all of us, everything that we see around us. What God gets out of this at the end of everything is a relationship with us. We are literally that important. You know, if we were created, and we go back to those two original ideas that we started off this week's episode with, R Richard Dawkins' description of who God is versus the Bible's description of who God is. If we really consider both, and obviously we've got a lot of work to do over the weeks to come to look at that question of were we created, or are we simply the combination of time, matter, and random chance, but if we were created, Dawkins' description just doesn't make any logical sense. It's incoherent. Why would any being that created us go to all of the trouble just to be a mean, vindictive tyrant, which is what Dawkins describes him as? That doesn't make any sense. If that was the case, the minute Dawkins got done describing him that way, there'd be a lightning bolt headed his way from heaven, and obviously that's not the case. So when we look at this, we have to dig a little bit deeper and come up with a true why. And purpose is what we're going to discuss as we move forward in the weeks to come. There's any number of ways that Jesus could have chosen to approach this. Remember the description I gave earlier in John 3.16 lines up perfectly with what Jesus is describing here in the book of Luke. This is who God is. And we see this fulfilled when Jesus carries the sin debt of all of mankind to the cross to reconcile us back to God. We're going to stop there this week, and we're going to get ready then next week to really dig into this question over the next two weeks, actually. What we're going to do is we're going to look at, this is who God is, then what is God's purpose? And as we look at this from the perspective of, if God is trying to have a relationship with us, how does our free will impact that? How do the events that have already occurred impact that? And where do we see God going? Because what I think we're going to see happen is, 
several different things that are going to make this really, really understandable about the difficulties that God is going to face in getting us back to him. I want to go ahead and stop there this week. Thank you so much for joining us on Seeking Proof, Finding Grace. You can find us on our website at prooftograce.com. You can also reach out to us via email at prooftograce at yahoo.com. If you like this podcast, please consider subscribing to it there and hitting the like button. We'd love to have you join us each and every week, and we look forward to seeing you next week for sure. Thank you so much. Bye-bye.